ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Anna Ferris, and I have this podcast fittingly titled Anna Ferris is Unqualified, where each week a different celebrity and I attempt to give relationship and dating advice. Recent co-hosts have included Matthew McConaughey. You got somebody you care about, you lost track of them. Go find out. Margaret Cho. Vacation <laughs> sex is always irresistible. Gwyneth Paltrow. I could make it all about them and not have to focus on my own problems. <laughs> and Seth Rogen. <laughs> so if you're wondering what your favorite celebrity or I would do in your situation, just listen and subscribe to Anna Ferris is Unqualified. Free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcast everywhere. ACAST.com. Hello and welcome to the Radio Times Doctor Who podcast, brought to you by the team behind RadioTimes.com. Hello and welcome to the Doctor Who podcast from RadioTimes.com. My name's Hugh Fullerton. My name is Morgan Jeffrey, And we're back and bigger slash better than ever. Um, or alternatively, if you're listening to this for the first time, um, this is the first one and you don't need any backstory. Very entry level. No, uh, basically, we've done podcasts about Doctor Who here on RadioTimes.com for the last while. But we took a little break and now we're relaunching. We're back. We've got uh, exciting new formats, behind the scenes stuff and loads to talk about because Doctor Who Flux is coming, Series 13. And Morgan, I mean, we have had so much that we've been dying to talk about recently because there's been so much news. Yeah, we took the worst time to go on a break because uh, anticipation really is ramping up now for uh, Doctor Who Flux, uh, which is the new subtitle for Series 13. Doctor Who is in a state of flux. Uh, We've had some exciting trailers, uh, some monster reveals. There's been a bunch of casting news as well. Uh, it's It's all really starting to happen. We're about a week away now, less than a week away. Uh, from the Series 13 premiere. Really exciting. Yeah, and like it's sort of crazy because if we were doing this podcast, normally we'd be like, oh yeah, let's talk about this one tiny photo we've seen of a new Sontaran. But it's like, ah, forget that. The Sontarans, old news. We know they're back. <laughs> we've seen them now. Um, and also it's the most crazy thing where every day there's some big new drop about Series 13. And also big Doctor Who news in general because, uh, you know, as Morgan said, we picked a terrible time to go off air because also some of the biggest news in recent Doctor Who history broke recently, which is... Russell T. Davis is coming back as Doctor Who showrunner. The sort of thing that you would reject from a fan film about Doctor Who for being too unlikely. Um, it's crazy. I mean, we can't really talk about this too much because we just do the entire podcast about it. We've got a lot to get through. But um, we will talk about it in a future podcast uh, towards the end of a series. And for now, we're both going to give our three-word reaction to the news. Uh, I am broadly in favour. Morgan? Nice. Uh, I would say uh, it's exciting, unexpected, and in true Russell T. Davies fashion, marvellous. That's what I'm going for. That was much better than what I said. It's ruined me. You made me look terrible. Uh, But no, yeah, it's all very exciting news. Um, But yeah, we will have a, this is the news section of the podcast. uh, So we will obviously chat a little bit uh, about what's coming up. Um, But we have some fun exclusive stuff coming in the Radio Times magazine. We have interviews with 
Jodie Whittaker, John Bishop, Mandip Gill, and Jacob Anderson. Uh, and there's some exciting stuff, which we won't spoil here, but if you look closely uh, and pick up the new Radio Times, you'll see uh, the cast reacting to the Rusty Davis news we just mentioned, as well as, you know, a couple of cast members answering whether they'll be back uh, after Jodie departs, whether they'd like to be back with Russell. Uh, so, you know, check it out and find out what they said, or, you know, listen to us next week, because I'll probably talk about it then. And if you enjoyed that interview, you can hear more from the Doctor Who cast in our sister podcast, the Radio Times podcast, hosted by Jane Garvey, uh, where they have, you know, some more of those chats. But enough of all that. Let's get to what we do best, which is baseless speculation. (laughs) Ah, yes. I've missed this. Our bread and butter. No, but we, uh, Series 13 is a funny one. We do not have that much information to go on. Like Morgan says, less than a week. We have, you know, we know a fair bit about the sort of thing we're going to see. We know the monsters that are coming back. The Whipping Angels, the Sontarans, the Cybermen, one Ood, a singular Ood, uh, and some new monsters, Carvanista, uh, this sort of dog-faced Hubaka type thing, and uh, the Ravagers. And we kind of, yeah, there's, there's a lot to talk about, right? And then there's a kind of, we have a vague idea of what the story is, don't we? Well, we know, we do and we don't, because as you said, we know so many of the elements that are going to make up Series 13, but we don't actually know an awful lot in terms of what Flux is about, um, we know that there is, we know from uh, synopses that have been released, we know from the teaser trailers that have been released, there is some sort of catastrophe called The Flux, which is where uh, Series 13 gets its, its subtitle. Um, Chris Chibnall has has teased, you can read this story on, uh, on RadioTimes.com right now, he has teased that uh, this series blows up the universe in episode one. He was sort of saying there were restrictions that were put on Doctor Who. Uh, in terms of what they could do because of because of COVID, because of having to uh, film under certain restrictions, uh, you know, sh- a shorter episode run. So what do you do? Do you do something very small scale or do you just throw caution to the wind and blow up the universe? And apparently that is what happens. So it's going to be one storyline uh, serialized going across six episodes. Um, you'll imagine it'll be s- sort of mini adventures uh, with uh, the Doctor and Yaz and new companion Dan, John Bishop's character, sort of leaping from uh, place to place, looking to fix problems as they go along. Yeah, but crucially with more standing sets, uh, you know, locations that they'll return to so they can, you know, don't have to reset all the time, more uh, actors and monsters crossing over into different episodes so they don't have to completely reset every single time. And that's the crucial thing. That's the difference because... To be honest, when like, they've announced all these monsters and characters and stuff, I feel like the list of guest stars isn't shorter than it is for a 10-episode series. The list of monsters isn't shorter than it is for a 10-episode series. They've just crammed a lot in. Like, we do know that um, it seems like the first episode, uh, which we're not sure if it has an individual name. We think they're maybe called Chapters, like Flux Chapter 1, but we're not sure. Um, the Sontarans seem to be in that one. And Carvanista, who's this Chewbacca-looking fella um, who seems to have John Bishop in a cage... Um, you know, write your own slash fic now. Um, but yeah, those scenes guys seem to be in episode one, but they might be in more than one episode. The Sontarans might also be in episode two, episode three. They might be in the finale. We have heard rumours that the Weeping Angels are specifically in episode four, which is the, the only episode that Chris Chibnall didn't write on his own. Maxine Alderton, who did the very spooky Haunting of Villa Diodati, uh, is supposedly co-writing that. But maybe the Weeping Angels also turn up earlier than that, if they are even in that episode. So it's kind of exciting, right? Like it's, it feels because every year we're like, oh, this is the Santaran episode. This is, you know, the Sidemen episode. This is the Jadoon episode or whatever. But it feels like this time we're kind of, it feels a bit different. I mean, even compared to the old serials, because obviously the big sort of 
elephant in the room here is we're talking about this new thing, Doctor Who being serialised. But obviously Doctor Who was serialised pretty famously. But I would say those stories were quite like, they were their own self-contained stories. Well, not only that, that, that is something that Chris Chibnall has has addressed. He said, look, serialization is is, is nothing new um, in, in Doctor Who. This is a, a six-part story. Six-parters were a, a, a standard part of the of the classic series. Um, but it, it does feel different. This isn't just a Weeping Angel story. This isn't just a Sontaran's story. Uh, there's a whole, this isn't just a story featuring a new monster. There's a whole kind of cavalcade of monsters. It does have um, a, an epic feel to it, I think, uh, that that maybe you know, six partners of the past wouldn't have had. Um, also because of this, presumably this quest format um, of the characters, you know, leaping about from from place to place, possibly returning to certain places. Um, I think you're right about the the cast. There's, a, there's some great uh, guest actors that are lined up for, for Series 13. You've got uh, Craig Parkinson, probably best known for uh, playing Doc Cotton in, in Line of Duty. Rashenda Sandal, another Line of Duty veteran. You've got Blake Harrison. Um, so again, like the guest cast doesn't feel particularly... Um, it's small scale. Um, I think something else we know about the first episode as well is that it will pick up with uh, with Dan, John Bishop's character, in in Liverpool. The BBC put out uh, an image of a Sontaran ship uh, floating above Liverpool, and I, 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 you're right in that they've they've talked about this being divided into six chapters. Um, they may not have individual episode titles. If they do, I'm still really rooting for this episode to be called, for the first episode to be called Sontarans in Liverpool um, in a sort of Daleks in Manhattan style. I'm really hoping that happens. It feels very Doctor Who for that to happen, but who knows? We'll see. The Scouse Sontarans. <laughs> <laughs> I sort of like a Sontaran stratagem. That could work. Um, yeah, no, I think it's going to be, like you say, really interesting. It's also worth noting that literally every other TV show is made this way um, as well, pretty much, in terms of like, when we talk about, oh, wow, Doctor Who's not doing standalone, you know, events. Like, Doctor Who was in the minority there. Like, not, I don't think many other shows, apart from maybe some cartoons and stuff, still kind of have that weekly, you know, self-contained monster of Episodic. the week. Yeah, type mm. thing. Like, I mean, the big, you think of something like Line of Duty, and it's like, well, yeah, obviously, you're like, oh, it's a serialized story this year. Sometimes the, the stick that's used to beat Doctor Who is it's, that it's not one of these uh, flashy um, Disney Plus series like The Mandalorian or, or any of the Marvel series. Um, and The Mandalorian actually is a good good example to compare it to because that that is something that is mm. more episodic, but also has a serialized uh, thread flowing through it um but also doctor who gets gets knocked for its its budget right people say oh you know it's low budget compared to these us shows but also those other shows don't as you say for the most part they don't have new cast coming in every episode they don't have whole new sets to build every episode new locations every episode uh doctor who is quite unique in that respect so actually what it pulls off on a smaller budget than some of its uh us counterparts is is quite remarkable really so but i but i don't think I think they've made a real sort of virtue out of uh, what you know the opposition they were up against this series. I think it's I think it is a clever thing to uh, say. Okay, look, we can't do the full series run we intended. We're down to six. Uh, how again? How can we make a virtue of that and doing one serialized story, but then making it making sure it doesn't feel small scale by throwing the kitchen sink at it by having it be this this uh, intergalactic quest uh, by having so many old monsters and a few new ones thrown in by having uh, so many great guest actors. Um, I think it's a really smart move. 
Definitely. And like the fact that you kind of, I often think it's a bit of a shame when you get a guest actor who comes into Doctor Who to do one episode, they're just in it briefly and then they're gone. You're like, oh, well, that was their chance to do Doctor Who. And that wasn't like, you know, when Ralph Little was in Smile, I was a bit like, mm. that felt like a bit of a waste of Ralph Little to me. Like, I feel like yeah. you can, you can, if you have them coming back for more episodes, you can kind of actually do a bit more with them. Yeah, no, there's, there's there's plenty of guest actors that you think, okay, it was great to have them in Doctor Who, like you know, Jason Watkins or, or Rebecca Front, but actually the the nature of the show, the fast-paced nature of the show means their characters didn't maybe get to show off the, like, the, the, the breadth of that actor's talent. Um, but I think with something like this, I think even Chris, again, Chris Chibnall has said what this format will allow um will allow Doctor Who to do is to spend a little bit more time with the with the guest cast to to develop them a little bit more which was something I know we've talked about previously mm-hmm. as, especially with when there were four uh series regulars it was it was hard enough to find them all something to do and to give them all like story arcs that play out across the episodes and across the series uh, let alone then you throw in like a bunch of guest cast um so we've got like a smaller uh it's got a lead trio now instead of instead of the fam. Uh, you, you, you'll be uh, having guest characters, but that will potentially recur across the six episodes, including uh, Vinder, mm. uh, the new character played by Jacob Anderson. Who is Vinder a companion? Are we are we going there, or is he sort of like a? I think I feel like he's going to be one of those characters like River Song with the Brigadier that for years there's a debate as to whether Vinder counts as a companion. I guess it depends what role he plays in the story. He could be a bad guy. We don't know. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I would say not to plug uh, the Radio Times again, but there's a little interview with Jacob Anderson in the new Doctor Who preview Radio Times, and he does talk a little bit about Vinda. So um, maybe you'll find out a little bit more about his motivations there. But yeah, no, I am interested to see how he fits in. I know Jacob Anderson is a huge Doctor Who fan of the classic era, um, especially the Happiness Patrol, uh, Paradise Towers. I I love that about him. I was uh, I I was sitting in on the recent uh, Doctor Who uh, press Q and A for the launch of the of the new series, and uh, the, Dr. Jacob Anderson was talking about being a Doctor Who fan, and I, I sort of rolled my eyes a little bit cynically, thinking, "Oh, here we go again." He's going to talk about how much he loved David Tennant, mm-hmm. and then he came out with, "Nah, he used to watch the Happiness Patrol and Paradise Towers on VHS," and I'm like, "Wow, deep cuts! Like <laughs> respect, respect to Jacob Anderson. He knows what he, he knows what he's talking about." The funniest thing about that is that apparently Chris Chibnall didn't know this, uh, even though he worked with him on Broadchurch. So when he was like, oh, hey, do you want to be in Doctor Who? I mean, I imagine Jacob Anderson just being like, oh, will it be like with Candyman? <laughs> yeah. Well, Chris Chibnall has also said, yeah, he's, he's been talking up his guest cast, saying, look, we've got these great actors, got Craig Parkinson, got Rashenda Sandow, got Blake Harrison. But there's also uh, some cast members that I'm that he's holding back. He said he's holding back certain mm. uh, announcements on purpose because the presumably those characters' appearances are meant to be a surprise. So people are immediately thinking, oh, is it Sasha Dewan as the master? Is it, is it Joe Martin as the fugitive doctor? Maybe it's the Candyman. It's true. It's, it's him. He's back. And bigger than yeah, ever. He's, he, <laughs> The Candyman's the big bad of Flux. I'd love, I would love to see it if that's that's what the Chibnall era has been building to. Not the timeless children. That was just a. It was a misdirect, a red herring, yeah. a classic exactly. Chibnall red herring. <laughs> and it's all, all just been building to the return of the Candyman. Yes, I, I feel like I'm going to dig into some episode transcripts and see if I can find some clues that we can suggest this because I feel like we should actually write this and see how many people we can convince. Um, but yeah, no, uh, it's definitely, definitely kind of interesting to have these sort of mix of characters um, and, you know, monsters, like we said, uh, new ones, old ones. The interesting thing with some of them, we don't know who all the monsters are, but we've heard there's some called like the Ravagers um, mm. and we're not sure who's playing them. I have a theory 
that Roshenda Sandal is playing. You know, there's that photo of um, those two aliens and one of them so- mm. sort of spiky and one of them sort of grey. I think she might be one of those. And I'm wondering if they're meant to be the Ravagers or... But then also, weren't there, there were Ravagers in Big Finish, uh, like in the Christopher Eccleston thing. And I know that, like, that doesn't necessarily mean I'm not like one of those, but wait a minute, you know, this historical character appeared in a seventh Doctor Big Finish. How could she possibly? Like, I'm not, you know, I don't think, I think that, but like this was like done quite recently and would have had to be okayed mm. by the BBC. So I'm sort of like, it's a bit of a coincidence. Maybe they're the same. Maybe they're not. Maybe it's, um, there's just two alien races distinct, yeah. both called the Ravagers. And well, they're like, look, one of us is going to have to go home and change our name. Yeah. Uh, this is, well, look, this on, doesn't work. on the cover of the Radio Times recently, we've had two Brian Coxes in a row. So this sort of thing does happen. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> like, you know, these sort of mix-ups, you know, you gotta, you got you got to be uh, careful. But no, I am interested. Like, I think it's obviously exciting to see the old monsters return. I, and we say old monsters, you know, the Weeping Angels are a relatively new monster who we haven't seen for a while. So that's kind of exciting. We haven't seen a proper Weeping Angels story where they are the kind of main threat all the way through for ages, right? Like since about 2012. Mm. So almost 10 years now. I mean, obviously they've cropped up since then in little cameos and obviously they were in class um, very briefly at the end. But yeah, we haven't really seen them for a while. So I'm excited. But also I'm excited to see the new monsters, you know, like I feel like it's really tricky and I don't, not to slag anyone off, I can't think of this, the closest thing I'd say to a monster that is sort of memorable for the last few series of Jodie Whittaker's era is like maybe the Dregs, um, you know, those sort of, yeah. yeah, but to be fair, I would say the same for like, maybe even for the Peter Capaldi era. Like, I, I'm not sure if I can think of, it's quite difficult to create a new monster at this stage, I think. I don't, I don't, you know, you're not going to invent the Daleks every week. Like, and there's going to, there's going to be like, the majority of Doctor Who monsters will be uh, perfectly serviceable <laughs> for that one story, but are not necessarily going to um, become part of the iconic Rogues Gallery. Um, I think you stumble across one of those once, you know, every every few years if you're lucky. Um, I don't know if we've had a new monster that feels like it naturally sits alongside the likes of the Daleks and the Cybermen and the Sontarans and and so on since the Weeping Angels. I think that might be, maybe I'm, maybe I'm blanking, but I, I feel like that's really the only one from the new series. I mean, um, the, and the, there's only... the, the silence for a little while, maybe that they kind the, of, no, yeah, you're right, the silence. And actually, now I think about it, the Jadoon, they feel mm. like, maybe not quite up there with, like, Dalek Cybermen, the real A-tier, but definitely those are sort of, like, B-tier monsters that we're always happy to see back. They're knocking about um, with the Zygons, I think, the Jadoon. Yeah, yeah, no, they're more like a Zygon Silurian sea yeah, level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, so, so so I think you're right. I think it's, it's really hard to create truly iconic uh, Doctor Who monsters. We should also talk a little bit about um, what other things we might see in this series. This is a very vague thing to say, but obviously we don't really, as much as we know a lot about the series now, we also don't. Like, we don't really know what the kind of impetus is. We know it's this big story. We know they're kind of rushing around. Some sort of catastrophe has happened, it seems, but Mm. we're not really sure what that is. But we might have had a clue um, quite a long time ago, which we're kind of interested in, which is basically ages ago, um, this graphic novel description leaked which was a tie-in with the new series. And it basically, mm. it was um, mentioned these things called time windows. And we were a bit like, what's a time window? And we sort of wondered about it. And I'm now wondering whether that is maybe the thing of this series, is that maybe something goes wrong with time, <laughs> vaguely. Uh, a little like we've seen before with the cracks in Matt Smith's mm. first series, you know, the rift and stuff like that. Something happens, maybe, you know, 
maybe also the, maybe the doctor's trying to work out where she came from, looking into other universes, because we obviously learned last series she's possibly from another universe entirely. Um, and then something goes wrong and it kind of splinters things. And then maybe you start to get things leaking through. Maybe that's what the flux is. You have like Sontarans in Liverpool. You have like, you know, Weeping Angels also in Liverpool. <laughs> no, I don't know. But everything's happening in Liverpool. But uh, it makes a change from Cardiff. But um, yeah, no, I, I think that maybe you're going to start to have things mixing around and bleeding through. Or maybe it's even a kind of multiverse type thing because some people have looked at the sort of new logo they've made for this series, which has these sort of straight lines of colour sort of going all wibbly-wobbly and uh, ribbony mm. towards the end. And then you obviously have this big new image of the series where it's the three of them surrounded by these ribbons kind of like twisting all around. I, you can't see this, but I'm demonstrating to Morgan on the camera beautiful. Well, all the twisty ribbons. It's like interpretive dance. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I maybe have got multiverse on the brain because of Loki and Doctor Strange and Spider-Man No Way Home, things like that. But um, I do wonder if that could be what they're doing uh, or whether it is as simple as like, stopping some sort of team of baddies i don't know what do you think well i i do think uh there's got to be some sort of follow-up to the revelations from series 12 right there's got to be some sort of follow-up to the um to the timeless children the doctor being revealed as the timeless child uh you would think that before his era wraps up chris chibnall will want to if not necessarily give us all the answers because i think part of why that whole reveal happened was to uh, bring some mystery back to Doctor Who. But I, I feel like the multiverse angle would be a good idea in, in terms of the Doctor, as you say, trying to find out where she's from, uh, crossing over into different universes, trying to find out where she originated. Like, it, it all seems to to fit. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, as the Eighth Doctor once said, human beings often see patterns and things that aren't there. So... This this will be the part of the podcast where we listen back and go, we were talking absolute rubbish. But at this point in time, does it does seem to make sense that some sort of exploration of the multiverse through these uh, time windows uh, could not only be a nice way of delivering, uh, you know, some old monsters, some new characters into the Doctor universe, but could also be a way of following up uh, the Timeless Child reveal by having the Doctor uh, seek out her roots. Definitely, yeah. And like, you know, we, we've seen parallel universes in Doctor Who, modern Doctor Who before, obviously the Cyberman story from uh, David Tennant's first series. So it's not completely out of the realms of what Doctor Who can or could do. It's not been explored very much, um, but it's, you know, it's, it's a classic thing. It's like Star Trek's Mirrorverse, things like that. Like, you know, it, it's a pretty yep. common sci-fi trope, so it's possible. But as Morgan says, this might be just complete nonsense. <laughs> so, you know, uh, your knowledge may vary on how much you want to listen to us. Um, I would say as well, Morgan, you think you've spotted, forget the multiverse nonsense, you think you've spotted a very important clue um, as to what could be coming up. Uh, it's, and it's the Keys of Marinus part two. Yeah, because now, now look, I am aware <laughs> that everyone thought that the Kasavin in Spyfall were the Vord, the monsters from uh, the 1964 William Hartnell story, the Keys of Marinus, and they weren't. So I feel like I'm sort of banging on this Vord drum again. Look, I mean, but, maybe maybe they'll, you never know. Maybe it'll still turn out look, to be... <laughs> If I if I someone will bring back the Vord eventually. If it's not Chris, it'll be Russell or whoever follows on after that. And then I'll, if I keep saying it, eventually I'll be right. No. So uh, again, at this uh, recent uh, Doctor Who press Q and A to, to launch Series Thirteen, Flux Mandip Gill was uh, talking about a, a stunt she performed that she and Jodie Whittaker had both performed, uh, where they it was some wire work and they were hung upside down and so on and so on. Um, and I think you actually see um, you see a clip of that in in both the the the, the Series 13 teaser trailer and the uh, more recent, longer trailer, you see a shot of them uh, both being hung upside down. 
and Mandit mentioned that this is from the first episode of Flux and that uh, she and uh, Yaz and the Doctor are being hung up over an acid sea. Now, maybe that's just a cool idea that Christian will thought, acid sea, that's cool, that's threatening, we'll throw it in there. However, when I heard acid sea, the first thing I thought about was the Keys of Marinus uh, in the first episode of that story from 1964, uh, almost 60 years ago now, the TARDIS lands uh, in the first episode, the Sea of Death, the TARDIS lands on uh, an island surrounded by an acid ocean. Now, does this mean... I can hear I can hear myself stretching. Does this mean <laughs> that uh, Flux will see a, a return to Marinus? Maybe. But also, <laughs> The Keys of Marinus uh, was a story. Uh, it, it was kind of unique in terms of its format in, in Doctor Who at the time and still now in that it told a more serialised story and a kind of quest storyline as well. It, it was it was a six-parter. Uh, saw the Doctor and his and his companions uh, sort of travel from place to place, all all on, all on one quest. Um, so in that way, thematically, it kind of links back to to Flux as well. So maybe Chris Chibnall thought uh, this kind of has a as a key of a keys of Marinus feel. I'll I'll throw in that that reference. Um, does does this mean that the first episode, the first chapter, uh, will take place in both Liverpool and Marinus? I mean, seems seems unlikely, but stranger things have happened in Doctor Who. It's true. So that's I, my theory. I mean, look, I was gonna, I was gonna I'd say you should probably warm down after that stretch, but, um, <laughs> but, but you know what? I've got three words for you: brain of Morbius. I mean, who would have thought? Like the last yeah. series, you know, they specifically they played a bit of brain of Morbius in the episode in the Time of Children. So yeah, I mean, it's definitely it's possible, and it is a bit of a coincidence. It could also be like you say, as a kind of in the same way that um, they made uh, Joe Martin's character Ruth pretty much exactly the same age as the brain of Morbius. In her episode, she's 44. The Brain of Morbius was like 44 in two days. Um, you know, ah. yeah, I, I've been doing some reading recently. I learned that. Yeah. Um, so maybe it's a kind of a similar thing where, like, as a kind of nod to that previous attempt to shake up the format with serialization, they have put in something that is a similar nod rather than it being like, it is also Marinus, you know, but. Either way, like you say, stranger things have happened. I mean, we don't want to rule anything out because they introduced another freaking doctor last time. So, <laughs> like, yeah, it, and, literally anything could happen. Uh, and, and look, maybe all, all of this, Time Windows, Multiverses, Sontarans, uh, Carvanista, Weeping Angels, Cybermen Ood, maybe it's all just to conceal uh, an army of Vords being led by the Candyman. <laughs> and that's, and that, that's, that's, that's the big payoff at the end of six weeks of epic time and space travel adventure and everyone's like chibnall must stay please <laughs> finally they'll, they'll, see, they'll, they'll see the vision that he's been going for this whole time and you know everyone... yeah I, I i like the idea that that was what uh chris chibnall went into to uh to the bbc <laughs> when, he, when he pitched his original vision he was like look it's my three-year vision for doctor who three seasons and then i'm out i bring back the candy man he's leading an army of ford then I'm then I'm done. Then I'm going because because I can't I can't possibly top that. That's yeah. the greatest Doctor Who idea of all time. And the BBC so were like, why, "How much?" It's <laughs> <laughs> like, why would I? Why would I stay? Why I can't? I, you, no one can write a better Doctor Who story than that. It's true. I mean, you got to leave on a high, right? Um, but you know, more seriously, we obviously don't know what's going to happen in Flux or Series Thirteen, whatever you want to call it. Um, we're not sure what the story is, and yeah, there's going to be big cliffhangers apparently. So we're sure there'll be lots of discussion but hopefully uh in next week's episode of the podcast we'll know more about it uh, and we'll hopefully have a review for you about 
what we thought and you know what we think the next step is and hopefully an idea of what the actual story is um yeah but before that we have a final question to leave you with because every week on this podcast we're hoping to end with our controversial question of the week uh, at this point there'll be a very cool catchy jingle that um someone on our recording podcast team is going to create for us so here's the jingle Oh, thanks, guys. That was that was great. Really good. I I, I really hope they put one in now. Don't just <laughs> leave me hanging. That would you know, just be hard. I put them on the spot, so it's fair enough. Uh, so recently, um, this week's question is based on something that was recently trending on Twitter, uh, where favorite doctor was trending, and everyone was sharing their preference. You know, who's your favorite doctor? And I was thinking about this because like, everyone's got their favorite doctor. Everyone's got their you know, mm. here's my doctor. But who was the best doctor? Because I reckon I have a favourite doctor, but I don't know if they're the best doctor. Because for me, like, personally, and I'm going to be a bit new series biased here because that's the way I am. Obviously, I'm thinking, like, David Tennant was probably, like, my doctor in a way because that's where I really got into the show. But I'm like, is he the best doctor? Like, as in, as in is he the best doctor? I know I'm just emphasizing different words because I'm kind of like, I felt like, in a way, Matt Smith was a better doctor than David Tennant was because the doctor of David Tennant's here was great, but he was a bit more of a sort of traditional heroic type. Whereas I feel like the Matt Smith doctor had that, but also had this kind of otherworldliness, which you also get with some of the classic series doctors. Whereas I think Peter Capaldi say went too far the other direction and became a bit too like that. And then kind of found his feet later on was I feel like Matt Smith kind of nailed that tightrope from the start. So I think maybe mm. Matt Smith is one of, if not the best doctors but I mean, what do you think, Morgan? I mean, do you have a favourite and who's yeah. the best? It, it is a different question. So if you're talking favourites, I find it very hard uh, to to decide because I, uh, from the classic series, I love Patrick Troughton's second mm. Doctor. Um, I I also love uh, Paul McGann's eighth Doctor, actually. Mm. I, I, he's, he's one of my favourites. Um, you're such a hipster. <laughs> I, I know, right? Uh, I didn't say like, you know, Peter Cushing in the, in the oh, yeah, yeah. movies, or Richard E. Grant, the Scream of the Shalker. No, um, although I did quite like that. that, yeah, that, that was actually pretty good, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is pretty good. Um, no, or, or of, of the new series Doctors, Matt Matt is is, is my favourite, I think. But you're right, in that who is the best Doctor is, is, a, is a different question. For me, if you're trying to be objective about it, I think, I think, I think you'd have to say Patrick Troughton. Because, Interesting. Because... Every William Hartnell's take on it is, uh, you know, there's there's the cliche. Oh, he's you know he's he's grouchy all the time and he's grumpy all the time and he's he's a darker doctor. It's not really true. It's a little bit more true at the beginning, but then he very much softens and becomes more the character you recognise. But I do think that Patrick Troughton's Doctor is more recognisable as the character that then sustained throughout like all his successors. And I feel like everyone who followed has been doing some version of what Patrick Troughton did, where uh, the Doctor can be dark and he can be mysterious, uh, he or she, um, but but they can also be uh, very silly and, and, and clown-like and child-like. Um, and, and like I say, every Doctor that has followed... Has has sort of picked up that baton and, and run with it and 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 you know twisted it and put their own take on it, but for me, you you wouldn't have any of those performances quite. They wouldn't be quite the way they were without Patrick Troughton having done it first. Mm. So I I would say he is the best by definition. 
That's very convincing. I like that. I mean, I think I, I was really sure you were going to say Tom Baker because I was kind of umming and ahhing about saying Tom Baker because he just feels like the Doctor. But then I'm kind of like, I guess Patrick Troughton kind of defined the role as we know it, didn't he? Like, I mean, mm. he, he kind of, he was the beta version. He was like the beta tester who kind of, he was the first Doctor who had regenerated, which is one of the key components of the character as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, not only was he kind of set the mould in a way, but that was the first time really that Doctor Who could have just absolutely flopped, right? It could have, They could have changed the lead actor and it could have absolutely just all all gone down the toilet. Um, and it, not only did that not happen, but the show continued on, uh, you know, in his very capable hands and then for years and years and decades, uh, you know, to come. So... The, yeah, the fact that he that it didn't go wrong there uh, in in 1966, I think, is testament to to Patrick Troughton to his skill as an actor and also the, the 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 willingness that he had and that the production team at the time had to try something slightly different from what William Hartnell had done. If they just cast someone who looked and sounded and acted like William Hartnell, it wouldn't have worked. Um, they they went for something completely crazy and different and very Doctor Who in that sense. Um, and and it worked. So again, the fact that he created something that then allowed the show to uh, succeed and, and survive without him, even he kind of guaranteed mm. its survival even after he'd gone. Um, and this is another reason I think Tom Baker is is iconic, and he's possibly the most. Maybe not now. Maybe it's sort of he asked the general public to come, you know, to drop in their heads this idea of who is Doctor Who, who is the Doctor. Some, depending on age, some might say Tom, some might say David Tennant, some might say uh, Matt, some might say uh, Jody. But I, I still think that, yeah, for all those reasons, setting the mould, guaranteeing the, the survival of the show, Patrick Troughton is the best Doctor. Well, that's our answers. Um, do you have any opinions? And remember, if you want to let us know, we're looking for the best Doctor, not your favourite Doctor, not the Doctor that you grew up with, not the one that, you know... Is it is the, is the one that makes you feel best? Who's the best doctor? I think it's a slightly different question. Um, I'm probably just splitting hairs, but I enjoy it. Um, and yeah, let us know um, if you want to on you know Twitter or any other way uh, you want to get in touch. Um, yeah, it should be interesting. Uh, but that's all we've got time for in this week's episode of the Doctor Who podcast from RadioTimes.com. As I said, we shall be back next week to discuss Flux episode one. Very exciting. It's been a while since we had a new episode of a new series to talk about. Um, and we will hopefully be back with more interviews, uh, controversial questions, discussions, and behind-the-scenes tidbits. Uh, until then, I've been Hugh Fullerton. I've been Morgan Jeffrey, And we're about to go and take a dip in a lovely acid ocean. Thanks for listening, <laughs> and goodbye. Thanks for listening to our Doctor Who podcast. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to never miss an episode. And for more brilliant Doctor Who content, check out radiotimes.com. Acast powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Anna Ferris, and I have this podcast fittingly titled Anna Ferris is Unqualified, where each week a different celebrity and I attempt to give relationship and dating advice. 
Recent co-hosts have included Matthew McConaughey. You got somebody you care about. You lost track of them. Go find out. Margaret Cho. Vacation sex is always irresistible. Gwyneth Paltrow. I could make it all about them and not have to focus on my own problems. (laughs) And Seth Rogen. (laughs) So if you're wondering what your favorite celebrity or I would do in your situation, just listen and subscribe to Anna Ferris is Unqualified. Free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.